Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mean O'Lion Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. Welcome Black, Black Like I Never Left, Black Again. Once again, it is another wonderful episode of Black Arm of the Law. I am your host, the one and only Carl MF and Payne. Uh, today's, today's guest is none other than former state representative for the House of Representatives in Michigan, State Representative Brian Banks. All right, how you doing? How you doing, man? Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. It's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting week. Um, Let's jump into it. There was a stop that happened recently, right? Meaning the police stopped this guy for a so-called traffic violation, right? Or traffic infraction. Now, the video is out there for all of us to see. Did you see it? With the Army Lieutenant or Sergeant? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. So, for those of you who don't know, who haven't seen this video, right? An Army Lieutenant, he's in uniform. He's one of our very own. He happens to be uh, African-American. And uh, he's stopped for a traffic infraction or some sort of traffic violation. The video goes on to show that he is has his hands up the entire time and he's questioning the officer and asking the officer, what is it that he did wrong? The officer was very aggressive in tone. Their stance was very aggressive the entire time. You know, he ended up getting pepper sprayed and uh, needless to say, it's nothing uh, uncommon about this video that we've seen or witnessed a gazillion times. Um, Unfortunately, it's very different. It's a very different uh, situation most of the time when it's a white person that's being pulled over versus one of us. What were your thoughts when you saw this video? For, and I want to hear your thoughts as a, as a law, uh, you know, as a state representative, as well as as a black man. Absolutely. You know, when I saw the video, it, 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 it just reiterated to me that our lives, black lives do not matter. Uh, it reiterated to me that the cost of a black life at the hands of police, uh, the price is high. And so uh, it, 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 it showed me that we're still living in a time that the color of our skin um, doesn't want us to have life. That, you know, uh, at the at the second of a trigger being pulled, um, our life can be ended uh, by the hands of law enforcement. What I saw was a, a man who uh, is and was serving our country in uniform who continuously asked the officers, why was he being pulled over? Um, and, you know, uh, he had his hands up. 
and he showed no signs of threat to the officers. The officers were not in any type of imminent uh, danger. Uh, and as a result, uh, this should not have been the case. It shouldn't have been the cause of the gentleman um, being pepper sprayed and the gentleman uh, having the issues that took place. Uh, it just it just reminded me that we still have a lot of work to do, that racism uh, and stereotyping uh, and driving while black is still real uh, here in the United States. Yeah. You know, at one point uh, he even said, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm scared. Like, I, I don't. And the, and the cop said you should be. Absolutely. He Absolutely. said you should be. Mm hmm. And, and I think this is utterly ridiculous. So my, my question to you is, what what can we do about this? Or what what is being done, what should be done uh, on a state level? Because at the end of the day, we, we're not going to erase racism. We're not going to change systemic racism. We're not. No, it's it's the laws that have to change. And people and, and the cops especially need to be held accountable. That's where that's where things will start to change when there's some sort of accountability. That's happening. So what 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 can be done? What is being done? What should be done? So um, many uh, cities and municipalities have what's called residency requirements where the uh, law enforcement officers have to live in the communities that they serve. Why does that matter? It matters because if, if you live where you protect and serve, you know, the community members, you know, the good guys and you know, the bad guys. Uh, and so you're not threatened by those people who are your neighbors. But not only that, when I went to law school, I had to spend three years minimum to get a law degree. And then after law school, you have to study for the bar exam. Then you have to take an exam. And then some of us, you know, who um, had issues in our life, we have to go through what's called character and fitness, where they evaluate your character and your fitness to practice law. Mm. And so um, many jurisdictions have a character and fitness department that evaluates people's substance abuse use, mental health uh, status or uh, the, their mental health condition. Uh, if there are some underlining issues there, they look at anything in your life that could trigger you not to be a good attorney. And so uh, my cousin, my cousin is a barber. My brother is a barber. They go to barber college. They've got to spend uh, a total uh, uh, amount of hours just to get a license to cut hair. But guess what? The police department, you can have 60 credit hours in some municipalities, no degree, 60 credit hours, which you don't need a degree, uh, and you can become a police officer. You can go through some tra uh, academy training that's a month or two, you know, um, but there are no uh, 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 continuous mental health evaluations. And so we, we need to have a centralized system where we monitor police officers. We have bad cops that are going from one department to another. They have been terminated and suspended and fired because of their wrongdoing. And they go and, and work for another uh, police department because we have no centralized database that shows, hey, officer so-and-so was just with the New York City Police Department. And, and, and he had um, multiple issues with uh, use, excessive use of force or multiple issues of discrimination. And so we, we need to have a system in place that we can identify uh, these bad cops. We need to have cops living in their community. We also need them to uh, have to submit to some form of mental health evaluation, maybe a yearly evaluation, maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, bi biannual. Uh, but we need to evaluate. Being a cop, being on the front line is a very stressful job. And so 
uh, it can weigh on you. And so we've got to do a better job at uh, recruiting and retaining the best, but also giving them the resources that they need uh, to go out there and put their lives on, on the line, but also holding accountable and punishing those bad actors that are in our police departments. And how do we do that? Because, you know, this is this sounds great. Sounds great. You know, yes, we all agree that this needs to happen. Obviously, there needs to be a better vetting process. Right. Uh, if you will. But how do we change the laws? How do we put different laws into effect into legislation so that that this becomes, you know, a thing? So, you know, we, we you know, maybe uh, there could be a, a law that states that once you get three bites at an apple or two bites at an apple, you know, if you've had an issue, uh, a, a issue uh, in one police department where you had to leave that police department or where that police department was sued or there are continuous uh, complaints of you being a bad actor. Maybe we need to have a database that that will have that information in there. And at, at some point, you can no longer be a police officer at some point, just like when you if you're a doctor, if you commit malpractice at some point, your license is taken away. If you're an attorney, if you steal clients money, if you uh, malpractice, you know, a, a client with their with their with their legal matter, your license can be taken away. And so we need to look at monitoring those police officers who have a bad acts and penalizing them to where they can't serve and protect and not even carry a gun uh, if they're displaying and have series of, of, of racial uh, issues and, and discriminatory issues and, and excessive use of force issues. We need to take them off the streets and out of the departments. I think and I, and, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think that I think the thing is, we just need to understand as as the people how we go about implementing these, you know, uh, putting these things into effect. What's the roads? What are the steps we, we take to uh, uh, towards towards making this not just a thought, but an actual practice? Um, major topic in politics or in the country right now is this voting bill that Georgia Governor Kemp signed into effect which obviously, uh, you know, is affecting people of color pretty much. Not only is the bill uh, sickening in itself, but, you know, a state representative candidate, black woman, was arrested for knocking on the door uh, while he was in his office trying to sign this bill. I'm sure you're aware of that story and, and, and what that uh, what happened there. What are your thoughts on that? Um. Republicans, uh, unfortunately, all across the country, they've seen an influx of uh, people coming out to vote, uh, people who have not been engaged, people who are woke now. And, right. unfortunately, and, and unfortunately, they've lost elections. We have a Democratic president now. Uh, we saw across this country uh, Democrats win local office, state office, congressional offices. And so if they can't win the right way. They, they cheat. And so we've so now they're, they're pushing the goal line. They're changing the rules. It's, and so but we've seen this time and time again. But this effort isn't just in, in, in Georgia. Uh, all across America, the GOP has been creating legislation that makes access to the voting, the ballot box difficult. We should be creating ways to make voting easy. We shouldn't be putting in barriers to stop people from voting, you know. And so uh, what they've done is. 
they've looked at uh, those communities of color and those uh, places of color that are strong democratic areas. And they've tried to put in um, laws that will prohibit uh, voters from coming out to vote, that will discourage people from coming out to vote. And so when you look at all of the changes that they're doing, they're saying it's transparency. But no, it is creating laws that make it harder to vote. Everyone should have the right to vote. We all have the right to vote, but we should have the right to uh, access to the ballot being easy. It shouldn't be uh, that you got to jump over hurdles and give, you know, blood and and, and five forms of ID and uh, and this color ballot and that color ballot. Uh, If you are a registered voter, you should be able to vote without any type of uh, discrimination or intimidation. Uh, You know, it's I definitely agree with that. And I I just, you know, I mean, I think I think you got to ask yourself, what's the end game? Right. I mean, but it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Like you said, they, they move the goalposts. They move the, you know, when they, when you do things the way that they want done, they asked, they, they demanded that, that these things be done this way and they still lost. It's like, it's like cutting off the head of a snake and the, and they don't, they don't want to die. The body's just going crazy because it doesn't know what to do. And so it's reaching for stuff, reaching for things like in this George Floyd trial they're reaching absolutely anything to stick on the wall yep absolutely major Uh, league yeah go ahead ahead. it's just it's just unfortunate but i i think what's more important is when i was just there i was uh having lunch with mayor bottoms uh one of her appointees uh and, Mm -hmm. and, and and when you look at you know uh governor kemp signing that the writing has been on the wall you look at what took place in georgia they had two special elections for U.S. Senate seats, and John Ossoff and Senator Raphael uh, Warnock won those elections. Right. And so, uh, it, you know, they were not supposed to win, according to the GOP. And so um, they've put in places, uh, they put in procedures and policy to try to disenfranchise voters. But yep. what we've got to do is we've got to continue to do a better job uh, of using our platforms, uh, and engaging our people and engaging our people uh, on the importance of voting, the importance of getting out to vote, the importance of making sure you do what you need to do so we can hold our elected officials accountable. And it's more than just voting. Once we get people in office, you've got to hold them accountable. That's right. Elected officials have coffee hours. They have town hall meetings. You know, um, we can't just send them over, off with a blank check. Exactly. And, and let them do what they want to do. They need to hear from you. I loved hearing from my constituents because guess what? It showed them, hey, he's doing a good job. He listens. He understands. He addresses our needs and concerns. And so that that means when it's time for reelection, you don't have to work as hard because you've been accessible. You've been accountable to the people uh, and they know that you have empathy and sympathy. And so we can't just elect people and, and get them in office. We got to hold them accountable while they're in office. Well, you know, on my last show, uh, we talked a little bit about this. And I think I think one thing uh, that black people or African-Americans and people of color don't realize is the amount of power that we have, the amount of power that we have, not only together, but economically, economically, which is where it actually makes a difference when we start affecting things economically. Major League 
Baseball Commissioner Robert Manfred announced that the uh, 2021 All-Star Game will no longer be held in Atlanta. Now, the reality is that the All-Star Game generates a lot of money for a lot of industries, you know, and, and you know what that means to the city of Atlanta. I mean, so the decision to no longer have the game here in Atlanta was was a pretty big decision for the commission to make. Uh, especially considering the bill uh, is is a result of politics and not of business associated with baseball. You understand? And so sometimes these things, uh, uh, these different, um, they intersect. These lines definitely cross a lot. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard, I've even heard talks of some other people, you know, not wanting to film here anymore and, and you know, and so, and here, when I say here, I mean in Atlanta, where I currently am, right, filming myself. Um, and I think that, you know, these are the type of moves and these are the type of things that will happen or will start to happen. Because I think we all know politics and how politics are ran, but we also know what's behind them, the corporate in infrastructure and the money uh, behind it. Do you feel corporate and capitalist industries are taking a stand? against people of color, disparities out of a sense of humanity or out of fear of risking profits? What do you think? So I think when you look at what the major league did, I give them kudos. Right. Because, you know, uh, people, corporations are, are, are understanding and realizing now that blacks have been disenfranchised and mistreated uh, since the end of time. Right. And so but they also understand how powerful black people are. And so I commend uh, not just uh, the Major League Baseball, but even Delta Airline, my airline of choice. You know, they came out against the, the, the bill that Governor Kemp signed. And, and so many of these corporations have people of color that help keep their doors open and help uh, help them to make profits. And so many of these organizations do business in these cities. And so what you do is we've got to collectively come together to start hitting people where it hurts and it's in their pockets. And if black people, as you say, realize how much power we have, we have so much power. Look at what we did when President Obama first ran in 2008. We came out, Pookie, Ray Ray, everybody came out and voted because we saw a black man. Yep. Uh, and and he <clears throat> eight years in office with no scandal. No issue, no scandal. And so we, we've we got to understand, just like we got him in office and just like the black people delivered Biden, blacks delivered Biden. And so just like we delivered Biden, we can hold some of these corporations accountable. We can hold uh, corporations accountable that discriminate against black, uh, that don't respect their workers, that don't respect their clientele. All we have to do is put our action uh, into plan and, and put a plan into action and, and, and hold them accountable. So I applaud the Major League Baseball. I hope they will take it to uh, a community um, that serves people of color. You know, a high uh, place of high, uh, with, uh, just like Atlanta, uh, some place that will um, appreciate it and deserves it. And so uh, I commend them for what they did in their actions. Absolutely. Let's talk about the culture of politicians for a second. Politicians hold a position of power that is widely protected by the law, actually, even if that power is not used fairly or representative of those who 
they are supposed to represent. Now, the fact that not even one congressional Republican voted for Biden, its <laughs> most recent relief package in a time of crisis for many American people. Republicans and Democrats show the abuse of such power. How can the American people protect themselves from this kind of behavior? So let's first ask, why do you think that not one Republican voted for this? I think many of them are heartless. I think some of them are spineless. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I know um, there have been a few that wanted to vote for it, but they were afraid if they voted, they wouldn't be reelected by their constituencies. Um, there are some good Republicans. When I was in the uh, State House of Representatives, I, <laughs> I have to say that for the record. They're not all. I know, I know, but it's just sad that we have to say yeah, that for the exactly. record. It's kind of yeah. like it's like, yeah, we know that. I know that. We mm -hmm. all should know that 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 they exist. Come on now. You know, yeah, you know. But unfortunately, we're in a time where many of them show their ugly faces uh, and their races. They have racist behavior. They introduced draconian and 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 uh, racist legislation that you know attacks uh, blacks and 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 people of color and minorities and women, uh, and so. What we can do is this, you you know, when is the last time someone organized besides Al Sharpton? Uh, you know, when is the last time someone organized um, besides Jesse Jackson? When is the last time we really put forth uh, a plan and organized to go to the Capitol Hill and hold people accountable? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so I was there in August for the, uh, the march that Al Sharpton put together. And not only was it a march, but there was some ask and some demands and some follow throughs. And so as a result, George Floyd bill, the act uh, police brutality bill passed, you know, because right. we kept pressure on our, our, our federal uh, legislators. We, we, we called their offices. You know, we went to D.C. Every time I went, go to D.C., I'm meeting with someone, even, even if it's a business trip. I'm headed to D.C. Friday for a book signing there. I have right. lunch with uh, one of my U.S. representatives on Friday. And there so we've got to hold people accountable. That's the Thank only you. way. You, you, you've got to let people know you work for me. You're, the money you're making is my money. When they take out FICA and, and, and state and federal taxes and I got to pay just to buy a bottle of water, I go to D.C. or I got to pay five cents for a bag. You know, you're in D.C. They're like, would you like a bag? Yeah. You see, I got seven items. How am I going to carry this out the store? That bag is five, five cent, ten cent, whatever. I, I pay your salary and you're accountable to me. And if you're not going to do what I say, we're going to be here every day. And we're going to email your office and we're going to call your office and we're going to stand outside your house and picket your house mm -hmm. until you effectuate the change that we want to see. Thank you. Thank you. You know what? You and I are going to be armed, locked together, standing there together. All right. I'm going to hold I'm you to it. Now. You ain't got to hold me to it. I'm going to beat you there. I ain't going right. to beat you there. I'm going to beat you there. Trust right. me. I'm all about that. Uh, I'm just happy to hear you say it. Listen, I am. I, I have been as a as a as a teenager. I have been a freedom fighter. I have been a you know a person that that has tried and has advanced the quality of life for black people. You know, I when I was in office, I took some very hard votes mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I go home. I got to look myself and my mom and my family and my friends and loved ones in the face. And too often, we've had elected officials that go along to get along. 
Tell me about one of those situations that you had to deal with. Um, one, 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 one piece of legislation that I am well known for is here in Michigan, we're one of the few states that insurance companies use non-driving factors to determine what your insurance rate will be. Mm-hmm. So here in Michigan, insurance companies use your age, your gender, your education level, your occupation, your zip code, all those things to determine, and your credit score, to determine what your insurance rates are going to be. So uh, thankfully for me, I live in the suburbs of Detroit. And so I draw, I have several vehicles, but what I pay for three vehicles in insurance per month, folks in Detroit pay one, they pay that for one vehicle. Mm. So I'll give you an example. For three vehicles a month, I pay $480 a month for insurance. Wow. I know people who pay six and seven hundred dollars a month for one vehicle. Because, and that's based on because they because of their zip code. Right. Because of their credit score. Because of their women pay more here than men. You know, and so I served on the insurance committee uh, in the House of Representatives. And right. so one of the things we were fighting for was ending redlining, zip codes. You, yeah. you, you, it, it, it's so a that's form. Just of, another, that's just another form of it, actually. It's a form of legalized discrimination. Yeah. You're going to penalize people because they can only live in certain communities, despite their driving record is perfect. Which has, nothing, which has nothing to do with driving. That has nothing to do with driving. And so, one of the things that my staff and I found was we found a white male that lived in a very affluent suburb in West Bloomfield Hills where all your uh, prominent doctors and lawyers and ball players and everybody lives. Uh, he lived there, white man, that was 60 years old. He had two DUIs. He paid two times less than a 60-year-old black man that lived in the heart of the city of Detroit who had nothing, no points, no accidents on his driving record, but he had lost his job. And he had fallen behind on two credit cards and his mortgage. So he was dinged because of his credit score and because of where he lived. So who's more uh, in jeopardy of causing an accident? This man who got two DUIs or the man who fell behind on some bills. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the issues that I fought for was to eliminate that. And so the insurance companies... Um, came up with, along with some other stakeholders, came up with a bill to um, give Detroiters their own insurance plan. But the Detroiters, in order to get a promise of a lower insurance premium, they had to accept less coverage. We are a no-fault state. And so if we get in an accident here, if you get in an accident, you have a catastrophic injury here in Michigan, you get 80% of your lost wages. If you can't bathe, feed yourself, cook your food, your insurance policy will pay for someone to come do chore services for you. It pays for rehabilitative services. It gives you benefits that will at least allow you to live some type of quality of life. Right. But they wanted Detroiters to accept $25,000 in coverage when we get unlimited right now in order to get a promise of a lower pay. And so I fought it tooth and nail. And I fought it and I fought it. And um, my reelection, they worked against me, but I won because I had the people on my side. Right. So um, one of our mayors was uh, supportive of the bill. 
and it was nothing personal. I, 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 my, my, my model was Detroiters deserve the same benefits and protections that the residents in Gross Point, West Bloomfield, Novi, Canton uh, receive with the same level of insurance premium. And so I, I became a target. I became a target because I stood up and fought the powers that be. But guess what? I could sleep at night. My people ex uh, respected me for fighting for them. You know, why do we have to be treated as second-class citizens just to get a promise of something lower? No. We pay taxes. Black people pay taxes. You know, we shouldn't be treated as second-class citizens. And, I, you know, I'm not, I, I wouldn't stand for it. You know, it, you know it, first of all, I commend you and I applaud you for that. It, it, it just it breaks my, my, my spirit sometimes, when, like you said, because there are some good Republicans out there. And there's some people, and it's like, just, just stand up. Just have a backbone. Just do what's right. You know, you know, take the uh, proverbial bullet, if you will, you know, Absolutely. It, you know, take it because it's right. It's the right thing to do, you know. Um, yeah. So 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 what led you to politics? Talk to me about that. How'd you get into it? How'd you get into You know, how, what, what led you to the career path that you chose? So I didn't choose this career path, honestly. Um, I, as, as you know, my, my life story is an open book. Uh, I got in trouble with the law, hanging with the wrong people, and I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And um, at the mall, using a credit card that wasn't ours, uh, and didn't rape, rob, or murder anybody. Right. Just trying to get us a pair of Gucci's and a pair of this and a pair of that, you know. Okay. Um, and trying to keep up with, you know, the Joneses. And so uh, we, I made poor choices and poor decisions. Uh, and as I went through the criminal justice system, I saw the inequities and inequality that black people received. I saw how um, there was a big disparity in the criminal justice system uh, with black people versus white, especially in the county that I was in. I was in an affluent county outside of Detroit. And so I saw uh, black and white defendants treated differently with the same charges. I saw folks treated differently because they couldn't afford uh, or retain an attorney. And so that piqued my interest in going to law school. And uh, I went before a judge. She was the only African-American judge at that time who happens to be one of my mentors and close friends right now. Um, I went before her and she really saw something in me that I thought had left that I didn't know existed. And it was greatness. And she said, you're too brilliant. You're too smart. You need to be in somebody's school. At that time, I, I didn't even have a GD because I dropped out of high school. And it was because of her. I went and got my GED the next day. I didn't study. I went and took the test. I, I missed one question. I passed and got my GED. I enrolled at Wayne State University the next day. I got my bachelor's degree in three years. I went back and got my master's degree in education uh, in a year and a half. And then I went to Michigan State University College of Law. And in three years, I got my Jewish doctorate degree. But it was because of her. It was because of my mother. It was because of what I saw when I went through the system. And so I wanted to be a judge. I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to be the next Judge Mathis. He's a member of my church. You know, um, he's close to some of my family members. So I'm going to be the next Greg Mathis. You know, he had, he was a troubled youth and he this and he that. He dropped out of school. And, you know, I'm going to be a judge. Then I'm going to get me a judge show. You know, right. and so that's what I thought. And um, I was on the phone one day with one of my best friends who happens to be a judge. And she said, uh, what are you going to do? I had just graduated from law school 
and I was working at a law office and also teaching. Uh, I was an adjunct professor. And I said, you know, I just looked. There is an open seat for state representative in my district. I'm going to run for state rep. She said, no, you're not. I said, I'm going to run for state rep. I was a nobody, a field of five people. Uh, I worked my tail off every day. I had a grassroots campaign. My mom, my family, friends. And in 2012, I won my first race by 12 votes. I'm sorry, by 96 votes. I won by 96 votes. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? What better than to be a lawbreaker? I was a lawbreaker. Then I became a lawmaker. Next, I'm going to be the person who executes and, 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 and executes the law uh, as a judge. And so that's how I got on this path. And so uh, I've been out of office four years. I'm still very active in the community. I run a consultant company where I run campaigns and do policy and legislative work uh, as a consultant for a number of clients. Uh, and maybe, you know, one day soon I'll enter back into the uh, into the world of politics. I've never left as I, I have a number of governmental officials as clients, you know, um, but that's how I got there. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help change uh, some of the laws that were in place. I wanted to help make people's life uh, a little bit better and a little bit easier. Thank you. Thank you. There's there's uh, you know, it's it's rare, but, you know, and that's why I always ask the question, what led you to make that decision? And sometimes it is a personal journey because of things that you've gone through that happened to you personally. But, you know, I always enjoy hearing someone say that they wanted to make a difference for everyone else's lives that look just like them or make things easier because you saw the dis, you know, the disparities, you see the, the, the overwhelming, I mean, we still see it today and that's, that's, you know, that's the problem, right? We still see that these, this is happening today where, you know, just because of something that we have no control over, such as the color of our skin, such mm -hmm. as, you know, where someone may be living or something like that, you know, that, that we have to be faced with being dealt with or reap the, you know, the repercussions of, of, <laughs> of, again, of things that we have no control over. Absolutely. You know, it's people don't understand, but I, I have to give credit where credit is due. I think more and more uh, non-black folks are really, those who want to see, are seeing now, you know, just a glimpse of what black people go through. It's difficult being black in America. Mm -hmm. Just being black in America, we should get some type of reparations uh, and some type of monthly check just to deal with the emotional and mental trauma and just being black and living in America. Then add on, we've been in a pandemic for a year and a couple of years. You know, so we should really be being paid as black people just because of the, the, the bullshit we go through as blacks. Listen, listen, forget forget all the contributions that we made. Correct. That we, that we, that we never, ever received any type of recognition, accolade or compensation for. Uh, forget the things that we were promised for the fact that, yes, we helped build this motherfucker. But, yes, I totally understand <laughs> where you're coming from. And it just cracks me up when I see, you know, I see white people complaining because, you know, they're being told what to do for two seconds of their lives. It's like you got to put it, on a it mask. Makes me, it makes me laugh. I'm like, really? You, you, you got you a problem with that? That's 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 interesting. Really? I will not. I shan't. Right. <laughs> I shall yeah. not. I shan't. 
Uh, talk to me about your book. Tell us about your book. So I have a book. Uh, it's called It Had to. Oh, I'm, I'm acting like we're uh, on recording this video. It's no, called. It is. The video's recorded. Go ahead. Just go on. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it is. called uh, It Had to Happen, The Agony of Success. And so in this book, I share my whole life story about being raised by a single mother, not knowing my father. Uh, my grandfather being the only father that I knew. I talk about dropping out of high school uh, and living with my uh, a blended family with my granddad and my step-grandmother who was an alcoholic. I, I talk about getting in trouble with the law. I talk about losing all hope and desire to live and uh, losing all hope that my goals and dreams would ever be accomplished. But I also talk about getting my GED, my bachelor's, my master's, my law degree, almost done with my PhD, winning to, uh, my election for the state house three times. I talk about everything that has happened in my life. It had to happen to get me to the man and the place that I am now. And so I wrote my book in an effort to encourage, uh, uplift and share uh, with others that no matter what life has thrown at you, Whatever you've, you're going through, whatever you've gone through, it had to happen. It had to happen to build character in you. It doesn't have to be that you got in trouble with the law, but you could have experienced a divorce. You could have lost a loved one. You could have lost a job. You could have felt defeated. You, you, you could have worked towards something and it didn't happen. And so my story of perseverance and tenacity is contagious. You know, I was told, look, if someone tell you no, Brian, at the front door, go to the back door. They tell you no at the back door, go to the side window. They tell you no at the side window, go to the other side window. They tell you no there, get a ladder and go up to the top. But don't, by all means, don't quit. Don't Learn from everything that you've gone through and cause it to let make you a better person. And so my book um, just talks about life. It talks about how great experiences arise in spite of the challenges that we face. Everybody has to go through something. I'm sure in your career, you've had some defeats. You've had some letdowns. I'm sure in your personal life, you, you've had to deal with some things that you probably didn't think you would get out of. But you look back and you say, wow, nobody but the man upstairs that helped me to, to get me through this. And, and, and sometimes when we're going through things, we don't think we can get out of it. We don't think it'll ever end. But when God allows us to get to the other side, come on, it's our it's our it's our place to help build and reach back and pull somebody else forward. And yes. so that's the purpose of my book. I just wanted to and share. And I've been taking my book. Um, I've gone to the juveniles and, and given free copies. I've gone to a number of youth mentoring programs. I just went to one two weeks ago. There's about 28 young black boys, uh, 16 and under shared my story. You know, gave them all a free copy of the book, autographed the book. But unfortunately, many of them could relate because of their parents. Yeah. Many of them could relate. Their, their daddy being in jail, their daddy being out in the streets, their mama having to do what she had to do just to make sure food was on the table. Many of them could relate. And so I've just used it as a platform. Uh, I'm going to D.C. this week um, for book signing and to a speaking engagement. And so I hope and pray that my life story will help others, will help uh, someone else not go and make the same poor decisions I made, but also help other people to understand that it's not the end of the world, that you can bounce back from anything and yep. that it had to happen, but learn from whatever happened. 
Absolutely. Amen. I mean, you know, like you said, it, it's the blessing is the gift, which is meant to be used for your purpose. So Absolutely. and I'm glad, I'm glad that you figured that out, you know, and uh, paying it forward. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I laughed when we talked about this on another show because I'm like, yeah, it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that when I watched the movie Precious, I thought it was a comedy. I All thought right. that movie, I thought that movie was funny as hell. But it's because of the fact that, you know, we grew up in such dysfunction that that was normal. Correct. And it shouldn't be. You know, my final thoughts are, you know, it's unfortunate that that, you know, the reality that people of color are always in a disadvantaged position when engaging in America's systems and society, even when we are supposedly placed or elected in a position of power, our voices are, are tired and they tried to be made subordinate to our whites counterparts. Now the system, the so-called system that we have been fighting for for so many years has only proven itself to be positioned to work against us, especially when suited for white America's agenda. But as we unify, as we galvanize, as we, as, as one of my pimp friends say, collectivize. All right. <laughs> as we collectivize our efforts to fight for our rights and justice, we have to create a new path collectively to reach our agenda, which should be everybody's agenda, which is one of fairness, respect, and damn it, simple humanity. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are your final thoughts? You know, I think we all, um, we all are tired. We're tired of, uh, you know, what has happened to us just for being black. You know, we're tired of uh, being in a pandemic uh, and having to alter our lives. But I also think we, we, we need to take the time to evaluate our lives uh, and evaluate how we can live a better life. You know, how we can be of service, how we can be of service to others, uh, how we can make the world a better place. Um, I, I never will give up on people. I think, you know, I think there's good in everyone. You know, some people it's just it takes a little bit more to get it out of them. You know, uh, I think that that there's good in all of us. And so I just pray that, you know, we continue to uh, work to make the world a better place, but that we use our platforms. You know, I don't have the platform that Carl Payne has. But I, I have a couple couple little followers. I have a couple folks that listen to me. It's okay, we can work together, you know, though. You know, and so I, I, I think it's important that everyone use their platforms. Everyone, you know, use their social media platforms to just speak positivity, to speak uh, about the issues that are plaguing our world, and, and, and to offer hope, offer some, type, offer some form of resolve. And so um, I am just on a path to uh, be a better me, than I was yesterday uh, and, and hopes that me being a better me will help to uh, become a better world. You know, I have a website. Uh, it's www.ithad2happen.com, www.ithad2happen.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, at facebook.com forward slash bank on banks. I'm on Instagram at Brian Banks JD. Uh, Instagram at Brian Banks JD. You know, uh, I just, I just, I believe that our mission in life is also to help other people, and that's what I, I, I'm trying to do. 
So I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I appreciate uh, us linking up again to have a conversation and appreciate what you're doing to um, empower and uplift uh, our folks. Well, I thank you. I thank you for being here. Here in the, the lesson, Brian Banks. Check it out. If you like what you heard, you like what you uh, listened to today, be sure to listen, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at BLK, which stands for Black. BLK, Arm of the Law. And on Facebook at Black Arm of the Law. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Assistant producer, Lauren Turner. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Graves. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Red, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production. 